Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Well, several years ago, a man named Arthur Stace, he was a soldier and an alcoholic, chronic alcoholic, and, and a petty, petty thief, I believe, and he, he gave his heart to the Lord. And he was so changed and so transformed that he was drawn to a mission, a mission that's rather unusual, and perhaps you've heard of him and his mission, but he went about Sydney writing the word eternity all over the, the footpaths and everywhere, walls, uh, in a very nice way, a little bit like Banksy or something, like uh, not, not ugly, but eternity. And he had so much passion when he gave his heart to the Lord that we're, we are eternal beings, that this is just a temporary stopping place this earth and everything that it represents. And so his mission was to get people to think, to stop and think about eternity. It's so easy as we step through life to take one step after another step every single day from when we get out of bed, step into our pants or dress or whatever, and not to think. Today's temporal but it's eternity that's forever, and I need to think and have an eternal mindset. I find it really hard, the tension between eternal and temporal. I I believe it's one of the greatest challenges that we have as believers is to live in a temporal world of temporary, but to think in terms of eternity. What am I doing today that's leading towards eternity, and how am I leaning into eternity? How, how do you bridge that tension? That, that How do you manage the, the difference between the temporal and, and the eternal? And that's that tension and that challenge, it challenges all of us. It challenges uh, all of us on how we're going to spend our resources, how we're going to spend our time, our money, our, our talents, our gifts. Are we going to think about temporal and just the temporary, which so many of us get caught up in, even as believers? Or are we going to shift and think, now, I've got to think about eternity because eternity is forever. This is only temporal. Eternity goes on and on and on. So it's that tension and that challenge that I want to address this morning. How, How do you live in a temporal world? with eternity on your heart? How, how do you live as if there were no tomorrow? And that's the, the, the challenge that I want to bring this morning. I want to give us some ways that we don't have to like just sell everything, <laughs> you know, and be foolish and, and just like, you know, the world's going to end tomorrow, so let's just be dumb and sell everything and go and do something stupid. Like, because tomorrow might come, and it probably will. There probably will be a tomorrow and a day after tomorrow. Somebody made a movie called that. Uh, there's probably going to be a lot of tomorrows, but we're still called to live, well, as if there is no tomorrow, as if we're in eternity, because we already are in eternity now, but yet we still have to face temporal issues, and we still have to be wise in planning out our days. 
So that, that's where I want to go this morning. I want to give us just three simple things or ways that we can live in this temporal world uh, as if there were no tomorrow. And that's what I've called this morning's message. I want to ask the question, what would your life look like and, and how would you live? How would you behave? What would you do if there were no tomorrow and if you really had eternity in mind? Where would you go? And more importantly, who would you become? So that's why I've called it like there's no tomorrow. I believe if, if you'll venture there with me that your life will be changed and that you'll walk away with some, at least three major things that you can apply to your life to live like there's no tomorrow. The destiny of everything that fills our life right now is empty. Or I'll rephrase that. The destiny of everything we have in life, the temporal, outside of Christ, is destruction. It's all going to burn, <laughs> all of it. There is nothing outside of Christ that's eternal. This world and everything that's in this world is passing away one way or the other. It's all temporary. We know that. And to live with eternity in mind in a temporal world, we have to be very intentional. We need to learn how to embrace empty. You say, what do you mean by that? The purpose of everything that we have that's filling our life is to be poured out. It's to be emptied out. So as soon as I get filled, well, my whole mission after that is to pour out into this world with whatever that is that's filling me. See, God's always drawn to empty. He's not drawn to full. He wants to fill that which is empty. Way back in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then it says that the earth was without form and void, or it was empty and formless. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. He was drawn to that empty, that blank canvas, if you will, because he wants to create something fresh and something new. And so he created everything that we have. Man, the birds of the, of the air, the fish of the sea, uh, all the wild, uh, all the animals and all the, every living creature and the plant life, the mountains and the ocean, every, everything, he created that. But first, it was empty. We're afraid of empty. I'm afraid of empty. I live in, a, in this world and I'm thinking I want to live for eternity. Man, I, I don't like empty. There's no fun in having an empty bank account. There's no fun in having an empty life with no people in it. There's no fun and it's, it's not a really good feeling to be empty without a job. There's so many areas where I don't want to be empty. Empty makes me uncomfortable. Empty is just that space that I don't like being there, so therefore I'm going to fill that, that void myself. But if we're going to live with eternity in mind like there is no tomorrow, we need empty. We need to not fear empty, but to actually embrace empty, rejoice in empty. If you're empty right now, God says, you're blessed. 
Blessed are you when you're hungry. That's empty. No food. Blessed are you when you're thirsty, when you're empty. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of things and people have betrayed you. And bless, bless, bless when you're empty because then you're a candidate for God to fill you with his very presence. God loves empty. We need to learn to embrace empty. This past week, Gail and I said goodbye to two dear friends of ours. And these friends had been part of our family for over two decades. In fact, some of you perhaps uh, had the privilege of, of meeting these two friends. And these two friends supported us. They supported our, our family when Mitch was at home. They supported our dog Enzo. And Enzo was with us. He's gone now. They were part of us. And Gail and I watched as, as these two friends that supported us, these two blue leather recliner lounges were loaded on a truck and taken to the tip. I know. It's true. I felt so sad. There they were on a pile of rubble and junk as this person had a truck full of junk. There were our two friends on their way to the tip. Have you ever been to the tip? Have you ever been to the tip? It's in Budroom here on the Sunshine Coast. The aroma. Oh, Jay. As soon as you're getting near the tip and you got the window down, it's like, whoa. Or if you're driving on the motorway past the tip, Sometimes you, you catch, what was that? Like, I didn't do it, neither did I. Like, what was it? <laughs> and, and, the, and, and the flies. There's just something about the tip, isn't there? And there's something about waving goodbye to two friends that supported us for over two decades on their way to the tip to join the refrigerator, which also was a, life, a long uh, time friend of ours and other things. The destination of everything you got is empty. It's destruction outside of Christ. We need to learn to embrace empty because empty is what God wants to fill. Empty is the destination of everything. In 2 Kings 4, we won't go there, but it was God filling empty vessels. This woman was in debt. They're gonna, the creditors were going to take her kids and she didn't know what to do. So she goes to the prophet and the prophet says, well, what do you have? I just got one empty vessel. That's all I've got. It's not even full and it doesn't have any oil in it. It's just empty. So well, give me that vessel and go and get as many empty, ves empty vessels as you can find. So she went out, the neighbors and everybody else brought these empty vessels and as many as there were, God filled those vessels with oil. He says, go and sell all that oil and get out of debt. God is looking for empty vessels. Do you qualify in some area of your life right now? If you're not empty and you're full of just this life, this world, the temp, temp, uh, temporary, then get empty. Learn to get empty. Learn to, to, to pour that out. 
Jesus is calling empty, hungry, thirsty people. We need to learn to embrace our empty. And we need to make decisions, at least one decision, if we're going to live for eternity, we need to make a decision to clear away the clutter in our lives. There's so much clutter. You say, well, I've already had the garage sale. I already sent our lounges off to the tip or whatever it was that you got rid of. Good for you. There's still a whole lot more for us that needs to go to the tip. Uh, but there's other areas, and I'm not just talking about the material world. I was watching, I found myself a few years ago watching way too much reality TV shows. Everybody goes, oh, oh. I don't know if that's you and you don't like them and you're kind of like, hey, you got your, you've got something, so don't, you know, don't give me that pie. I said, oh, oh, I'm going to point the finger, you know, throw the first stone if you don't have anything. Several years ago, I said, so I've repented from it. Um, but I really was arrested just by God, by the Spirit of God. What are you doing? It's like, oh, these things are interesting, these true crimes. So I've got to find out who did it. And they're so clever, these criminals, you know, there's a lot of blood, murder, and families, and friends, and, you know, I couldn't believe they did it, and da-da-da. And, I, and uh, I got to where I was thinking, man, I can't trust anybody anymore. Like, who can you trust these days? <laughs> it's like... What happened to the life I used to have where I just trusted people? <laughs> I wasn't looking at every, you could be an ex-murderer. You know, don't, don't you tell me that, you know, you've got it all together because I watch those shows. And, and God really stopped me and said, what are you doing? You've got so much clutter in your life that you've lost the, the space for me to be able to speak into your life and give you a good vision because all this bad vision stuff is just starting to cloud your life. And I remember I just stopped and repented, and, and, and so Gail knows too, when those things come on, it's like I gotta I turn the channel as quickly as I can get that off of there. Because I know there's a draw card in it, like it, it's, oh, but it's interesting. It's just interesting how, they, how they, we justify it. Yeah, I wanna know how they caught it, how they caught that, that nice, prim and proper looking Sunday school teacher woman that's killed everybody. Like, I want to know how they caught her. <laughs> it's, too, it's intriguing. We justify that. So when we're talking about clearing away the clutter, we're not talking about just getting away with getting lounges out of there. We're talking about a whole lot of things that God, if you take an inventory of what's in your life, maybe some of it needs to be cleared away. Luke chapter 13, Jesus gives a parable he says, then he told a parable. So it's a story. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. Observation. A vineyard is for grapevines, not fig trees. But he might have thought, I got enough grapes. It'd be nice to have a bit of variety in my diet. After all, you know, figs are delicious and will go really nice with the wine or whatever he's producing with the grapes. And so I get some figs, and it says, he went to look for fruit, but it didn't find any. That's the clue on what we got to get rid of. It's not bearing fruit. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, 
I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. And I haven't found any. Three years. This thing should have figs on it by now. Cut it down. In other words, clear away that clutter. And here's the question. Why should it use up the soil? You see, your heart is God's soil to plant creative ideas, new inventions, ways of getting the gospel out there. Your heart is the field that Jesus gave everything his whole life to get that piece of real estate. Why do you allow things in the soil of your heart that are not bearing any fruit? And look at the man's response. I think this is interesting. One more year! <laughs> it's like a politician, isn't it? One more year, and I'm going to change the country. No, you're not. <laughs> You've had your go. You've had four <laughs> or whatever. One more year. I'll dig around it. I'll, I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine, he says. If not, then cut it down. Or I could say this, cut it out. Clear away the clutter. So many of us aren't living for eternity because we just think that's in the by and by. No, it's making decisions, hard decisions now because you're in eternity now. Even though you're surrounded by temporary, temporal, you are actually in eternity now. That's why Arthur Stace went about writing that. You guys, you got to be reminded, this is not we're waiting for some event. We're in it now. Behave like it. Embrace the empty so God can fill and then clear away the clutter so that God can plant something. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus enters the temple courts. And he drove out all who were buying and selling there. What was he doing? He's clearing away the clutter in the house of God, the temple, on the temple mount. It was on a mount, Mount Zion. So it says he drove it all out, those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He says, as it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. You are making it a den of robbers. Think about the difference between a house and a den for a moment. But a house is much bigger than a den. A den it's like one part of the house. It's like our little family den. We get there. We got a little TV in there, a couple of comfy uh, lounges, which we don't have anymore. Uh, and you've taken something big where you could be entertaining guests and, and, and you could be worshiping in, in a house, a house of work. You've turned it into something small. Until we, get a, until we get rid of the clutter, we're shrinking what God wants to do. Our house can be big, but if it's full of clutter, it gets really small, really tight, really hard to maneuver inside of there. You've got to get rid of stuff and, and, and get empty so that God can start to pour in. Then he says this, it is written, he said, my house will be called a house, a, a house big of prayer, but you've made it a den, small of robbers. He left them and went out in the city of Bethany and he spent the night. Now watch this. 
early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, so he went out of the city, did it, he did all that, overturned tables, cleared clutter away, <laughs> had a night, he's coming back now. And seeing a fig tree, that's interesting, isn't it? You saw that fig tree in a vineyard. Now, he sees a fig tree. Now, it's not a parable. Now, it's an actual account. The fig tree in Scripture represents what? Yell it out. Israel. That was Israel. They had the temple on the Temple Mount, on the mountain. There they are. Something big and expansive and, and, and a portal to heaven. It's been shrunken down to a, a little den of thieves. He's coming back now. and He sees this fig tree. He knows what that represents and so do they. And he went up to it and he found nothing on it. Like the guy in Luke 13. It's just leaves. Nothing on it except leaves. You might remember in the garden when they were naked. They'd sinned. And, and what did they do? They covered themselves with what? Fig, fig leaves. You see, the religious people had taken something sacred and something expansive and they'd shrunk it down and it was a big cover-up. Religion's good at that. Let's just cover things up. Let's not deal with things. Let's not clear away the clutter. Let's not, let's not embrace empty. Let's try to fill it with lots of activities, religion, things that look good. Let's just fill our lives full of activities and full of junk and, and, and then say, oh, God, why aren't you filling us? Because there's no room. You have to get rid of that stuff. And so he sees this cover-up. It's a tree and what it represents, and he's thinking about what he'd already done, fashioned a whip, turned over the tables. He sees the fig tree by the road, he, and he went up to it, and he found nothing on it except leaves, and he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Well, it hasn't borne fruit. But what he wants to make sure is that it does not reproduce after its own kind. I'm not going to give you a chance now to produce something called figs that can be planted so we can get more trees that don't produce fruit and, and more people that are living for the temporal and not for the eternal. We're going to make sure that you don't produce fruit ever. And so they said he cursed it, but I believe it was already cursed. May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Now here's a teaching that's been taught wrong. I've heard this over and over and over again. I think, man, when you read the Word of God, you got to read it together in context. Pulling stuff out because it's a good preach and people hoop and yell and shout and jump up and down and all the rest of it, uh, that's not what it's about. So reading this in context and seeing what is he really talking about here, I want you to pick up on this with me. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. So that's what, that's what his faith brought him. It, 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 it took something that was fruitless, that was clutter, if you will, and got it out of the way. Why, why is that important? Same reason that the guy with the fig tree in the vineyard needed to get that out of the way. Why does it take up room? Why does the stuff 
the temporal stuff that you're consumed with in your thinking, why does it take up room in space called the soil of your heart, even your imagination, your thought life, whatever it is, your time? Why does it take up space when God wants to plant something amazing there, but he can't because there's a fruitless fig tree sitting right in the middle of the paddock. There's no more room for God to do anything. To live for eternity means we've got to be ruthless with this. So he says this to them. Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do, get this, what was done to the fig tree. Question, what was done to the fig tree? It had to die. It had to be removed so something else could grow there. That's what was done to the fig tree. And he says, if you have faith, not only would you be able to do to this fig tree what was done, but, and you've got to remember where he's at when he's saying this right now. He's going back up to this mountain of religion. This big press down, good measure, press down, shaking together fig tree full of fruitless junk. He's walking back up and he's still, I'm sure, angry about it. But he says, well, he says, truly I tell you, you, if you had faith and do not doubt, you not only do what was done to the fig tree, in other words, you could not, you would remove it, but also you could say to this mountain, Zion, where the temple is full of religion, junk that needs to be removed, clutter that's got to go. You could say to that, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. What he's not saying is if you had enough faith, you could go to Mount Coulomb, which is on the Sunshine Coast here, and speak to that mountain and cast it into the sea and a whole lot of people would die from a tidal wave. I mean, that's just stupid. It's never happened. It's not going to happen that way because this is not what he's talking about. And nor is the mountain the things that's standing in the way uh, of your obstacle directly like the giants and, oh, yeah, you want your miracle. He's talking about getting rid of fruitless things in your life. They had to get rid of a mountain full of fruitless stuff, a big cover-up of fig leaves. And he did, I might add. The mountain did get removed. But in your life right now, there are things that are just planted in your vineyard that you're putting up with and you think, I'll just fertilize it. It's entertaining after all. I need a bit of a break. It's just like, uh, you know, I need some downtime. So what better than to plunk myself down and just with my remote or what better than to pick up some useless exercise or even relationships that are going nowhere. But yeah, but we get, to, we get caught up on the latest gossip. I'm in the know. I don't want to be in the know. You know, one of the things I've determined to do for a large part is not to know about other people's business. Some of you know way too much about other people's business. Why? Why? Ask yourself that. Why, why, why do you want to know about it all? <laughs> he says, oh, you never guess what happened. No, I, wouldn't, I don't want to guess and I don't want to know. If it affects me and I have to know, okay, fair enough. But what's the point? It's just going to get into my, my paddock. 
it's going to mean God can't put something good in there. It's like a true crime show. It's going to be useless information. It's going to paint bad pictures and all the rest of it. It's not, going to, it's not living for eternity. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. I want you to decide what's cluttering your life. Clear it out. I know it's sensible to live with tomorrow in mind. We're talking about like there's no tomorrow. Store up for a rainy day, create a financial buffer, play it safe sometimes. But there has to be an urgency. If you're going to live for eternity, there has to be an urgency in your life to deal with some of these things. And the third thing is break open the bottle or bottles in your life and start to pour. It was Mary who was delivered from demons. She was so thankful what God did. And she had a year's worth of perfume. It was a year's wages. And she sees Jesus and she takes that bottle and she pours it out from his head to his feet. And Judas, saving up for a rainy day, Judas, living for the temporal, forgetting about the eternity and who he's following. <laughs> he gets upset about it. What she did was to show that I am going to pour my life out because what this represents, that buffer zone and her dowry for getting married and everything that she could have done with that perfume. You think about perfume and there's a, there's a men's cologne, which I don't want to try it, but it's called Eternity. It's a Calvin Klein uh, cologne. But I think about it and, it's, it, it, and colognes just evaporate because they're a large part alcohol. Now, I've got a really nice cologne at home called Deep, and it's like really expensive. I don't know, a hundred and something dollars a bottle, like for 100 mils. It was given to me, and I hardly ever use it. But the sad bit is I've got some cheaper cologne that I spray, and I try to, try to get rid of it. I don't... I don't like it that much. It's still okay, and it's a spray. And I've watched the deep, the, the expensive cologne evaporate in the bottle, so I've got less of that, which I hardly ever use, and I, and I, can't, I can't get rid of the other stuff. I mean, I spray it, just, come on, like, I want to get rid of you, and I'm, I'm never going to buy any of that, that stuff ever again, but uh, the, the good stuff... It's, it's, it's evaporating as I speak. It's going. And I thought to myself, what that woman did, <laughs> she decided, look, this perfume, it's got alcohol in it or whatever they used back then, but it's not, it's not going to stay in this bottle forever anyway. What have you got in your life that's evaporating anyway? Like I said, it's all destined for destruction outside of Christ. Everything you got, you might as well empty it for an eternal purpose and get on with your life and quit being so frugal and, and everything else. Just get on with it. Break open your bottle and pour. So she poured it out. I remember once I was at Sydney Airport and in between flights and I'm, did a little wander, and I thought, oh, I got, I don't know how many hours it was. <laughs> I had a lot of time to kill. And I walked up, and there was a, like a, a wine um, exhibit or um, 
thing where they had samples of different wine. I don't, I'm not a drinker, so it's like, oh, I'll just talk to the guy. That's what's your most expensive bottle of wine? He goes, oh, it's a Grange. How much is that? He goes, well, so I had two bottles of it, and um, it was worth $1,000 a bottle. I thought, that's, that's pretty expensive. How, how would you bring yourself to pour, because I don't know how many glasses of wine or goblets or whatever a bottle of grains would hold, but I think if you're pouring, it's got to be at least 100 bucks or something for every glass of wine. I'm thinking, that's a lot of money. It's probably worth more today. That was a few years ago. And I'm thinking, my goodness, like, I couldn't, I couldn't drink something that's that expensive if I had to pay for it. I said, do you ever drink it? He goes, well, I drank a whole bottle not that long ago. I said, why? What happened? He says, well, my wife and I broke up. And he says, the Grange was in the settlement. And I decided I don't want her to have it. And he said, I turned 50. So I broke open the bottle. And I began to pour. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and so she said when the settlement was happening, where's the Grange? He goes, oh, it's gone. I turned 50. You know, you were invited. You could have celebrated with me, but you chose not to. <laughs> it's gone. We had a really good time, me and my friends, pouring it out. I had 300,000 ANSET frequent flyer points. You know ANSET Airlines? All the Aussies are going, yeah. I remember ANSET. Right about this time, within a day or so of 9-11, nothing to do with 9-11, ANSET went out of business. And my 300,000 points that I was saving up for a trip, which was enough for Gail and I to fly back in the day to the States and back, gone. I made a determination. I get it. I spend it. I'm not saving those points anymore. We just, you know, we're going. We got enough for a flight. We're taking the flight. That's it. Gone. I've learned that you don't want to just live your life with all the bottle, all the wine, all the best in your bottle. Break open that bottle and pour your life out while you can. Get rid and don't be afraid of empty because empty is a great word. You use it or you lose it. Jesus told the rich young ruler, he said, oh, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? What do you got? In the middle of his instructions of how good he was, the guy said, oh, I'm good. I kept all these things from you. Jesus looked at him and he goes, take everything you got because you're rich. Sell it. Give it to the poor. In other words, Break open your bottle, man. Empty out. Get yourself empty. Then take up your cross and follow me. The man went away sorrowful. Second Timothy 4, listen to this. Paul, at the end of his life, listen to what he says. The urgency of eternity weighing on his heart. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering 
and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I am living for eternity now like there's no tomorrow. He overcame that tension. We're not going to get into it because of time, but in 2 Corinthians 13, there's an incredible account. Elisha, the prophet, is about to die. He's suffering from an illness that is going to kill him. And Jehoash, the king of Israel, goes down. He cries over this prophet. What are we going to do? Elisha says, well, get a bow and some arrows. And he did. He says, take your bow and grab that bow. And, and, and the prophet wraps his hands around the king. He says, now aim the arrow toward the east window and shoot. And so he shoots and the arrow goes out. And Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory over Aram. And then he says this, he says, take the arrows, because the guy had about six or seven arrows. He says, take these arrows now and strike the ground. And he struck the ground three times with the arrows. And the man of God was angry. Why would you get angry about that? You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram, completely destroyed it. The prophet, with so much urgency, and his voice echoes through the corridors of time to us today, you have to have some urgency to live for eternity in a temporal world. How are you going to overcome that? You've got to be willing to pour your life out. You have to have the tenacity. Don't just tap it once, twice, or three times. Take the arrows, what God's given you, in your hand and strike that ground. Strike it and strike it and get some passion in your life and live for eternity. Don't let the world pass by like a parade. Let, let Grab a hold of what God's given you and live for it every single day. Get rid of the clutter. Embrace your empty so God can fill it. There was an urgency in Jesus turning those tables over. There's an urgency in that woman pouring out that perfume. There was an urgency in the prophet saying to that widow, fill those vests, get the empty vessels. Come on, come on, come on. There was a, definitely an urgency with Elisha. An anger in him. He was following Elijah around and everywhere that Elijah, his, his mentor went, he followed him until when finally Elijah is about to be taken. Elijah takes his mantle and he strikes the water. Just boom, it's my last day. I'm getting ready to go. Bam. As if there were no tomorrow. The water's part. He goes up, but he leaves that mantle, that shawl behind Elisha, finds it, and he takes it, and he strikes the water. He goes, where is the God of Elijah? And I'd like to say to us, where is the God of that woman with the perfume? Where is the God of that widow woman? Where is the God that Paul poured his life out serving. Where is the God of Elisha? And Elisha was one miracle short 
of the double portion that he asked Elijah for, or God for. So I want double miracles. He was one miracle short of two times the miracles that his mentor did. And he dies after telling that, that king, why didn't you strike the ground more than once? Why didn't you strike it five or six times? Where is your urgency? Where is your passion? What are you living for? He dies. Some Moabites, some raiders are coming by and they buried, they buried Elisha. They're burying somebody else and they're afraid they're going to plunder and take the body and all the whatever it is on the deceased. And so they throw the body into the tomb of Elisha. And that body hits his bones. And you know the story. The man, the dead man gets up and he walks out of his own funeral. The, the, the double miracle happened right there because Elisha couldn't get rid of the passion and the anointing that was in his bones. He tried to empty himself, but he was one short. And it frustrated him so much and got him so angry at the king. God's looking for somebody that has enough passion to live in a temporal world for eternity like there's no tomorrow. I guess the question to us that each one of us has to ask ourselves, are you willing to embrace empty? So right now, whatever you feel an empty in right now, why don't you embrace it right now? Don't fill it with junk. If you're depressed, why don't you just determine to go after some depressed people and have a mission in life like Arthur Stace did and write eternity all over the pavement. You're not probably going to do that, but you can do something else with your life other than sit there watching crime shows or something. You can get out. Embrace your empty, whatever that is. And maybe God's spoken to you to get rid, clear, clear the clutter. Whatever it is that's in your life that's not bearing fruit, let the Holy Spirit show you if he hasn't already, I believe he, he would have showed most of us some things, areas. Why don't we just get rid of those things? Have a garage sale with some of it and give the money to missions. I don't know. You know, get rid of junk. Turn off. Clear the way. And determine. I'm going to make it my mission to pour out Every bit, every bit of wine, every bit that God's put into me, I'm going to make it my mission to pour out entirely while I have a chance to pour it out and to be a blessing to other people, expand the kingdom of God and see more souls come into the kingdom. I'd like us all to uh, bow our heads. I'm going to pray. Like I said, it's a challenge, and I'm in there with you to use what God's given us on earth, our money, our gifting, our car, the healing anointing that you got, or whatever gifts that you discovered. Well, I want us to be mindful. The ultimate pouring out account was Jesus on the cross. It says, knowing that he came from the Father, 
And going back to the Father, he washed the disciples' feet, still not empty. And then he goes to the cross and fully empties himself to where he finally cries, cries, it is finished. If you're here this morning and you're not following in the Savior's footsteps, but you know that there is an eternity, oh, it's coming, you know it. <laughs> None of us can deny it. You're not looking for a way out, you're looking for a way in. Well, that way in is a Savior. His name is Jesus. But you don't try him. Oh, I guess I'll try him and see. No, 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 no. You give your life to him. You exchange everything about you for everything about him. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is between you and God. Nobody's looking around, so this is a time that you can just be honest. If you don't have him in your life or perhaps you've walked out on him, but you're honest enough to know you're not living for eternity, you're living for temporal. You're living without a savior in your life. But you know that God's knocking at your heart. There's something about this meeting where God you may not even know that it was God, but you know there's a tug on your heart. You need to give your heart to Jesus. Or perhaps you're away. You need to come home. If that's you right now, I'm looking around. Nobody else is, but I'd just like you to slip your hand up wherever you're at and say, in doing it, slip your hand up and say, yes, pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.